morning and blessed Sabbath. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Daughter of Zion Sabbath School broadcast. We are glad you joined us this morning. And not only are we glad that you joined us, we're also glad that our panelists have joined us this morning. We're excited about what we have um, today. We have our dear brother Ricky Mark with us. We know he's a contributor and also our podcast initiator, maintainer, and regulator if you will. So, um, Ricky Mark, we're glad to have you today. I may end up having to call you um, Brother RM, Brother R Mark, um, Brother Ricky um, Mark, maybe do the whole thing. Who knows? Something along those lines. We also have our dear elder Willie Farrington with us, and we're grateful to have him here, ready to dissect, put it back together, and then maybe break it back down again. So we're looking forward to what you're getting ready to do for us this morning, and through the spirit and the power of the Lord. And then we have our dear brother Ricky Pierre, um, we are glad to have you here from Central Florida. We see that smile. It's not because of the amusement parks. We know it's because of what? The goodness of God. And so we're grateful that you are here this morning. Amen. Amen. And so we um, just want to say good morning here. Brother Marcus um, saying good morning. Bless Sabbath. Miss you all. Hope to see you all soon in person. Uh, most definitely. We are grateful for the means of technology, but we do recognize that it is a substitute for the real thing, much like the discussion of the gospel. It's, a, it's, it's to get us to a place where we can finally get what? The real thing, right? And so we also have our dear sister Taylor saying good morning. Hello, everyone, and happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath to you as well. So we want to start off this morning with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into our um, discussion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your mercy and for your love. We ask now, dear Lord, that you will come make plain to us, dear Lord, the mysteries of the gospel. Allow us, dear God, to get a deeper understanding of you, to be drawn into a loving relationship with you, that we may bring you glory and honor through our living. We thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So this week we dealt with a very interesting subject, right? We're still in the book of Genesis. We're dealing with this idea of beginnings. And all of a sudden they tell us about a man by the name of Jacob. And it says, Jacob, the supplanter. Now I must admit, it got me um, by surprise, right? It kind of hit me when I saw the title of the lesson. But what really got me was the image or the illustration with the lesson and the illustration had a half bowl of soup and some bread um, and I thought about that lentil stew and the morsel of bread by which we know Jacob secured his name from his brother um, and or it became revealed what his name meant by his brother let me read this um, text the Bible says in Genesis chapter 27 verse 36 and Esau said is he not rightly named Jacob, right? For he has supplanted me, what? These two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have not you reserved a blessing for me? Reading from the New King James Version. What's interesting is Esau says some powerful stuff, right? Pass it into that verse. But as we examine and go through it some more, we recognize that Eh, was he exactly on target, on point with respect to what he said? Did he take away his birthright? I don't know about that. It seemed as though he bargained for it and Esau was willing to kind of turn it over. We'll get back to that later. And we'll talk a little bit about what Paul says about it as well. But first, I want to talk a little bit about this home, right? Because as we know, and we all aspire to have what's called a, um, what do you call it? A, um, Adventist home, if you will, right? And here we have what would believe, you know, a Christian home, a, an Advent home for the second coming of Christ. And so we, we just look at this environment by which Isaac and Rebecca had their home and everything set up. 
and they grew up in a God-fearing home, right? The Bible says that Isaac cried out to God or he besought the Lord on behalf of his wife and, and she conceived, right? And she ends up having what? Not just one, but what they call in um, Isaiah, double for trouble. But then the question becomes, in this Adventist home, in this Christian home, in this God-fearing home, they experience some serious family dysfunction, right? You literally have this function of favoritism, and I'm sure you guys will speak to it. You have this function of sibling rivalry that reaches, I mean, just a, a crescendo, if you will, to where it ends up being spoken of for what? I will kill him, right? I will murder him um, upon sight. And so just, I mean, looking at the dysfunction of this family that knows the Lord, they're talking about morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, um, the worship in the home is there, the, the you know, regulars um, when it comes to Sabbath school and, and regulars when it comes to 13 Sabbath programs and, and, you know, regulars when it comes to Pathfinder clubs and the singing and the choir and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's dysfunctional. And so my question is, and I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to just go through and see what you guys have to say about it. Why does the devil attack families? And I'm asking our viewers, if you would please chime in. We need some comments. We need um, feedback. We need thoughts, everything. And I'm just going to put this up real quick before we get to this question. Sister Taylor says, dysfunctional Christian home, right? And we all know those too well, right? There is no discrimination when it comes to dysfunction, Christian, non-Christian, whatever it may be dysfunction abounds and the bio and i just want to ask this question why does the devil attack family so i'm going to start off brother mark here we go when we ask you this question help us out here why does the devil attack family uh thank you elder tracy for having me on and of course i'm, I'm more than happy to be back with you uh studying this word on this wonderful sabbath day let me just jump right into it you know the family is the foundation of the earthly home it's with the ultimate foundation in heaven uh, the family is where nourishment and nurturing begin. The family is, you could argue, the first church that a human uh, encounters. It's where a child is taught up in the way that he or she should go so that when she, he or she is old enough to think and act for themselves, they might not depart from it. Uh, the devil attacks the family because the family is the very core of humanity. Uh, the family is very often the first thing a human being encounters among entering the world however you want to define the family. Um, it's where a person is reintroduced to the Most High. By attacking the family, uh, the devil attempts to nip the first fruit of the spirit right in the bud. And the idea is that if the devil is able to do this at an early age, they can, he can quite literally train up a, that child in the way that he or she shouldn't go. So that way, when that person gets old enough to think and act for themselves, they do depart from the righteous path and unfortunately we see that so often in today's society and our job as christians i believe is to not only help establish christian homes and christ-centered homes but to help other families do that same uh thing in in the form of fellowship and edification and just overall being good to one another in a way that makes the idea of uh, forming a household centered around Christ as attractive, both spiritually and just normally as possible. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, um, Ricky, for that. I'm going to post this comment that was just um, uh, um, uploaded here by Sister Taylor. And I want to speak to this as it relates to what we saw happening um, this week. OK, and just the, the impacts of a family on society. Um, she says, if the family is messed up, 
society is affected and the world suffers and God gets left out of every aspect of life. And, you know, we see obviously some dysfunction taking place at whatever level it was in this young man who does what? He goes and he shoots his grandmother first, right? Shoots his grandmother first and then makes his way into an elementary school and begins to kill these um, children as well and faculty. And so we definitely see that the erosion happens in the home and the devil knows you go into the home, you can do what? And Ricky brought it out earlier. You can pretty much latch on forever once you have that individual in the home. But um, I, I say that um, notwithstanding the power of the love of God and what God can do and what he will do. Someone else says here, if you can destroy the families, you can destroy the world or severely disable it. And so I'm going to ask you, uh, Brother uh, Ricky Pierre, if you would, I'm going to ask you if you could jump in on this question. And, you know, Elder Farrington, I'm going to ask you if you can help us as it relates to today, how to deal with this as well, um, after um, Ricky Pierre gives us some insight on this. Ricky, help us, please. Good morning, Elder Tracy, and thank you for having me. Um, listen, we, we have to understand that today it's a whole new bargain, ball game. Um, Brother Mark brought the, the good point of, you know, we're we're failing. Now, families nowadays expect, I, I work in the school system, and 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 there, there is some expectancy of the school system to fill these holes that families have in general, but but we miss the point. We miss the point when we 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 delegate this responsibility that we have um, as families to train up our child. We delegate this to to the school system or the teachers or or um, whoever else we would delegate it to not understanding that it is our solemn responsibility to to un ensure that um, our our little ones are getting what they need in the home so so that there's something they call social emotional learning where um, schools are now relying on this to uh, fill the holes the gaps that that these kids the needs that these kids may have not met at home but expect it to, to be met in the school system. And, and, and that, my friend, is one of the challenges uh, that um, our society is facing. I think Brother Mark made a good point when he said that by attacking the family, the devil knows that it will destroy society because family is the base of society. And, and right now, never, never like before, we're experiencing that, that lack of needs met in the family circle whereas the kids are going out and, and, and having these needs met in other ways outside of the family home. And, and this is a point where, uh, you know, we have to understand that this is the devil at work and he is doing such a good job at it. And we're seeing the, the results, unfortunately. It's unfortunate to be able to say that, you know, in fact, the devil is, it appears, um, you know, to be doing a active, more active job than we are. And so uh, that speaks volumes. So I, I want to come to you, Elder Farrington, because this is actually a very, you know, just on point discussion this week as it relates to what we're seeing happening in our society, right? What's happening in our world. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me as I was watching the news was I saw the, the, the reporting on what happened in Texas. And right away, you know, they cut from that reporting and literally went into the sentencing um, phase of Nicholas Cruz. And this is obviously the shooter um, from the Stoneman Douglas um, 
incident. And it just really hit me because I'm thinking to myself, man, just from one to the next, I mean, we're just, you know, just kind of moving. And then this is now, okay, um, jury session for the sentencing phase, but we're still dealing with now a raw situation in Texas. And so just, and then, you know, the parents again, coming on and talking about the loss and the impact it has had. And so I, I like what this individual says here. And just want to put this up before we get to um, Elder Farrington. She says, the devil attacks families because he hates what God has put together. And I mean, it, it's no more simpler terms than just that, right? God put it together. And what ends up happening? The devil says, well, if God put it together, I want to strip it and, and, and tear it apart. So thank you so much uh, for that comment. Also want to say good morning and happy Sabbath to our dear sister Lauren G, we appreciate you watching and participating with us this morning. Again, continue to feed us with some of your comments and thoughts. Other parents, I'm coming to you, and I want to ask you this question. So we're talking about devil and why he attacks families. I think we've gotten that. But now, in a more practical sense, help us out here. What are some ways that families can guard themselves against dysfunction, right? We know it's coming. We know it's there. We know that it's abundantly clear that this is going to be the, the attack, right? The moment you say, oh, we want to um, get married, you want to have a, a child, or, you know, we have children, the devil says, target. Help help us with some ways we can possibly guard against that other parent. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. I think first we have to understand what is dysfunction um, in order to guard against it or attack it. And we have to understand this dysfunction um, sort of represents some type of act abnormality, impairment, or deviation from social, some social norm. Now, when I grew up, um, JC, remember this, when we had a word, we would say when somebody wronged us or said certain things, and we would say, you're going to diss me like that? So, you know, we, we readily threw that out, you know, he dissing you, he dissing you, or whatever. And for those who are not, you know, caught up in the vernacular of that time or the day, I mean, disrespect, but we just look at it as being diss. And so here, this is serving disrespect or this is serving as a prefix to the word respect and we're going to like dysfunction is serving as a prefix to the word function and what we have to understand is that function is what is center or the foundation of a family structure so when you, when you reference the shooter and how he shot his grandmother then went to a school and shot faculty and students you we can see that there was some dysfunction there and as one of the um, um, listeners to our program viewers wrote there that the devil is wanting to attack what God has set up. And so we go back to function when we see when Adam and Eve came together, he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And then it said, what God has put together, let no man set asunder. And we see that that has been under attack so much so that the family more or less start out in a dysfunctional or, uh, orientation. And so function has to be entered into that. And so we have to understand that when Isaiah records all of my all of my children should be taught of the Lord, then you introduce function. When you train up a child the way he should go and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You introduce into that element function. And so to 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 prevent or to guard against this function, you have to have some order, some 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 sense of regular regularity or no, normality that would serve as a as a hedge against dysfunction. That means there has to be a pattern behavior where love is freely expressed, where support is often given. And when we um, gird up our, our, ourselves and our family, 
understanding this is that a family is as strong as its weakest link. And so when the devil attacks the family, he's looking for an inroad to the, leak, the, um, the, the weakest link. And truthfully, we all can be that weakest link because he tried to incite our passions. He looked to use, you know, our, our, our senses and our sensibilities against us in terms of things that we like to feel, taste, touch, smell, and all that thing, places we like to go. And when he can penetrate the, the, a family member, then it's so a seat of discord where one is seen as the favorite child and we'll get into that. And, and you know, where one parent, you know, um, like one better than the other. Now enter in uh, um, this discord that breeds dysfunction. And so when we want to have a sound family uh, um, uh, structure, we have to make sure that we introduce or we support it with function. And in doing so, we can prevent or lessen the amount of dysfunction that can come about. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, you're absolutely right, um, Elder Ferenc, and you really hit a lot of um, valuable points there. And I love the way that you broke down the weakest link, looking for an entry point, right? Continue look, checking the armor, looking for kinks, looking for an entry point. And the Bible says it very clearly. The, um, Peter, as he's, as he's writing his epistle, you know, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking, you know, not necessarily devouring, but seeking whom he may where that weakest link is, um, so he can enter in. And so we have to guard against that. And one of the things I think is important, and, and you brought it up, and as um, Larry J says, well said, um, Elder Farrington, you know, one of the points that we have to be aware of, it's not always looking for the weakest link as it relates to your frailty or your weakness. Sometimes that thing you are passionate about, that strength that you believe you have, can also become the thing that's used against you. And so just being very wise and asking God for discernment is very important. Um, yeah, I want to get to this next question, um, and I just want to find out here. Maybe you can help me out. I know, Elder Farrington, you have a brother. And I want to find out, um, Brother Pierre, do you have a brother by any chance? You do. Okay. So I, I want to speak to you. If, if, if you would, you know, indulge us a little bit here this morning, right? And we're talking about this idea of Jacob and Esau. So we're talking about these brothers, right? And these twin brothers. And I'm not asking you, Brother Pierre, to tell us which brother you would be in this um, story of historic spiritual magnitude, right? I'm just asking you, to, if you could, just take a little, you know, a, a spiritual lens from the outside looking in. And so we recognize that Jacob wanted Esau's birthright. Right. So we know that that's the you know, we, we, we get that one the birthright and was willing to do whatever he did. A, pretty much a Malcolm. Right. By any means necessary. Right. I'll, I'll secure the birthright. And so what I want to ask is, how can we be careful not to use bad tactics to obtain? I'm using air quotes, the good things we seek after. So I'm going to ask you to help us out there, um, Brother Pierre. And just if you could think about that story for a moment and how things played out. And, you know, yeah, give us some insight from a brother, if you would. Oh, man, I knew this question was coming, so I was ready for it. I was ready for it because this lesson had me, uh, you know, we call it introspecting, you know, in, in my own past life. I would definitely be Jacob um, because, you know, in the psychology, they say that the second the second born son always longs to, to be uh, 
ahead of the firstborn son because sometimes they think that you know because they're first they they think they're leaders and and they're they're responsible for for the rest of the family but we we secondborn son we tend to protest that but that's neither here nor there but uh in this scenario uh i i want to let you know i would definitely be jacob however 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 we we learn to grow in christ and we learn to be better individuals and recognize that um you brought up um, Malcolm, and I'm going to bring up MLK and Martin Luther King. Um, and, and it's a hard concept to get, especially some of us who, you know, who, who, who are adamant that, you know, we can take on life. You know, it's a hard concept to understand that our response matters. The way we acquire things, the way we go about things does matter. So when MLK say we cannot beat them because they're beating us, we cannot curse them out because they are cursing us out. We cannot imprison them. Even if we have the drop on them, we cannot. We dare not allow ourselves to use the same tactics that they're doing for us because we are. We ought to be different. Be the change you want to be. Be the change you want to be. And, and it's hard because sometimes um, you're, um, let me put it like this. Imagine you're Goliath. And, and a little David is challenging you and you as a Goliath who's been changed to a, a new, new born again Christian. And you remember how you used to you know, tear it up back then. But yet the Lord says you cannot, you cannot, you cannot go this way because even if you have the advantage, you have to use the right way. Um, go about it the right way. So um, I, I want to lean on my brother MLK and, and, and understand that these peaceful protesting, it took something of greater magnitude to understand how these peaceful protests were able to affect what we are today enjoying here as, as um, African-Americans in this country. Um, it takes a higher level of thinking. It takes a higher level of commitment to not lean on our own understanding even if it would have an immediate solution, but we will do the same thing that the enemy is doing to us using their own tactic. And that's not what we're called to do, Brother Jason. We're not called to be um, the enemy uh, or, or be his, his disciple. We're called to be uh, Christ followers and follow the ways of Christ. So we have to keep that in mind. I'm, I'm smiling, Ricky. Thank you so much, um, number one, for letting us know exactly what who you would be in that, is, in that scenario but also for bringing up what you brought up, I think is you know, the practical application of where we are in our society and how this all plays out in current day is very important. I wanna hear from, I think, Ricky Mark, did you raise a finger or do something as though you wanted to say something earlier? Okay, I thought I, thought I saw that. That's why I'm gonna bring you in and I wanna hear from you on this as well. I had a lot to say, I'm thinking about a lot, but I wanna hear from you guys. I'm sure the audience- Yeah. For some reason, when I saw that question come across the screen, uh, Elder Tracy, I had the weirdest flashback to law school because I remember a class called Criminal Procedure where the concept of the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine just popped into my head where theoretically in a just society where police misconduct isn't rewarded with a conviction. Um, that's another conversation altogether uh, where if evidence is obtained through unlawful means, please correct me if I'm wrong or if I missed anything, it cannot therefore be admissible in trial or in court against uh, a criminal or a, and not a criminal, but a an accused 
uh, criminal. And when I thought that, I was like, well, if you are if you are obtaining something or what if you are obtaining something that you think is good through unrighteous means, then theoretically, under this idea, it is poisoned from the start. And it is not something that could very well lead you into the uh, spiritual prosperity that you seek. Now, there are examples in the Bible where someone's journey may have started through evil, like Moses murdering the Egyptian and then fleeing into Midian. But he was redeemed for that. He was forgiven for that in order that he might be used to further God's purpose. Another example is when Peter betrayed Jesus, or not betrayed, but he denied Jesus. That was a bad tactic. But as Jesus said, even before that would happen, when you are restored, go and strengthen your brother. So he was, he did something unrighteous. He implemented a bad tactic, a bad tactic at the moment. But what ultimately happened was God restored him, forgave him for that, for he knew not what he was doing at that moment. So it's interesting that that is the case, especially when we consider how we can apply that to our daily lives. We have more than enough good that we can use in order to um, obtain the good things that we're seeking after, despite the fact that those evil, bad tactics might look very attractive. But then again, so was that fruit in the garden. Point taken, brother Mark. Point taken. Thank you so much. I'm going to come to you, Elder Farrington. I'm, I, you know, I, we, we have some very interesting um, comments that are coming in, and I, and I'm just going to take a few moments, Elder Farrington, if you don't mind. I want to ask you this question. So, our dear brother Philip Matthew says the tactics used by Rebecca and Jacob were not agreeable with the character of a righteous man, but in this case, Yahweh winked. For Jacob learned of the significance of the birthright from Abraham and Shem. Now, I want to ask this question. Did God wink? Now, I want to go back to this the first instance, right? So we have this lentil stew. We have this um, bread to help soak up the gravy, right? And so we have Esau coming in. He's hungry. He's born. And Jacob is cooking at the exact right time, right? And while he's cooking at the exact right time and he has a scent going out, right? The aroma from this food. He says, let's make a deal. Deception. It's not deception, right? It's abundantly clear. Let's make a deal. I will buy from you the thing I tried to get while coming out the womb, right? I tried to move you out the way to get it. I'm going to buy that from you with a pot of lentil stew. And he actually gives him the lentil stew. So it was no deception. That's what the food was. He didn't send him out to go hunt that day, but that's what happened. But I want to ask this because this is an interesting concept about God winking at the behavior, right? And I want to ask you, other Farrington, did God wink at this? In other words, did God somewhat say, you get a pass because... You learned about the significance and your brother didn't know about the significance. What are your thoughts on that, Elder Farrington? Uh, I, I don't see it as God winking, but I, I look at it as God using um, frail humans in, 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 a, in a weakened capacity. There, there are many instances in the Bible where, as uh, Ricky uh, Mark mentioned, he looked at the case of Moses. You know, he was set forth to be a, a leader. 
uh, but it deviated from the path. And we look here, it was already known from the beginning when the children came out the womb that the younger, uh, the older would serve the younger. And when we when we see instances of this in where there is not a, a, a glorious start and finish to a person's life, and yet the Spirit of the Lord, you, when we look at um, uh, Samson, you know, how he, uh, you know, with allow himself to be in danger, you know, in dealing with um, a Delilah and she was asking for his strength and he would break the bands in the cord until he gave in and, and um, uh, I'm told by this being hair being cut. And, and the point, point being made is that even though um, Samson put himself in certain situations and, and things of that nature, God allowed his strength or his will to be manifested in him still, even at the end of his life. And God can use a, a broken situation and then, you know, rise that person above that. This is showed that his favor in terms of restoration, that's what forgiveness is, is restoration, is restoring to a person into a prior favor or position. And a lot of times we think that the end would justify the means. Or, you know, we have this uh, thing, um, expression, it's better to get forgiveness than to seek acceptance. And sometimes we go for and do something and then we apologize later all because things may have turned out right. So and, and when we look at the, the, the instance here with um, um, Jacob, even though he's stolen the birthright and you see how he was blessed. And, you know, having the, um, pass on him the, the promise that God made Abraham, that he'd be a father of many nations. And that goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and then the progenitors from there. And it, it is something that allow us to see ourselves uh, magnified in, in the lives of the, in these individuals that they weren't perfect, but God can still and will use us if we turn it over to him. And we see that there was a reckoning for Jacob um, throughout this process because he knew what he did to secure the blessing. And on his journey back home, you know, when he wrestled with God, you know, all night long, and he had he was troubled in his mind and his spirit because he knew his brother Esau was coming for him. And I leave that for that's the lesson developed. But my thing is, is that God uses um, people that are, are messed up um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, and then he allowed his will to be done through these individuals, not to say given an excuse for sin or to allow a person thinking that the end justify the means, but the point of being that he still can use us even though we go off track. Amen. Amen. And I just want to um, add this point. Um, Brother uh, Matthew says, in this instance, the deceptive tactics of Laban taught Jacob that deception is not the characteristic of a righteous man. And I think um, just, you know, spot on. And thank you so much, Elder Farrington, for um, speaking to those points. Uh, we have some other things here. I, I just want to um, get to here some more comments. And here it says that we have to ask for the Holy Spirit to aid us in having greater trust in God. And to direct our actions so we do not resort to our own arrangements in accomplishing his will. And I think that's very powerful. You know, oftentimes we see that 
um, happening. We see it even at a very local level in our churches when individuals want to have certain positions and they start using certain tactics in order to do so. And even at the higher level, whether it be the conferences or, or even above. And so it's not something that is outside of the realm of Christianity or outside the realm of those who say they trust and love the Lord. It happens because personal pursuits, ambitions oftentimes get the best of us. And so we definitely have to ask the Holy Spirit to lead. Um, one of us go to Sister Taylor's comment says, God does not give a stamp of approval. However, he makes it work out for good to bring glory to him. In other words, it's not that he would say, I wanted you to do that. But later on, as the Apostle Paul lets us know, it was showing us the heart of each one of those brothers, which is why Ricky Pierre said very quickly, I am Jacob. Um, <laughs> so let's let's move on a little bit here. And I want to just see if we can um, move into um, discussing Monday. If we look at Monday's lesson, Monday's lesson deals with Jacob's ladder. Right. Um, and we all know the song very well. If we had time, we'd sing it. We just don't have time. We're already after um, 1030. So we'll reserve that song for another day. But talking about Jacob's ladder, I want to just ask this question. And before I get there, um, Sister Taylor says this, and I want to make sure I speak to it very quickly. We will also see there is always consequences for doing things outside the will of God. And that is key. Jacob never sees his mother again. He is distraught and can't return home. His relationship with his brother is fractured. And his relationship with his father is also fractured because he deceived them. Um, so there are things that happen in our lives that are unnecessary pains that we have to deal with because we sometimes seek our own will. And so just want to see if we can get into Monday's lesson. When I ask this question, I'm going to come to you, uh, Brother Mark. What's the difference between Jacob's ladder and the Tower of Babel, both in the book of Genesis both interesting access, um, if you will, vehicles. Help us out there, please. Uh, sure, sure, no problem. Uh, based on the way I was able to interpret it while reading through the book of Genesis, it, it always seemed to me that the Tower of, ba uh, the Tower of Babel uh, attempted to replace heaven, whereas Jacob's ladder was a visualization of heaven's angels' comings and goings from heaven to earth and back again. Now, it's, it's interesting that this question comes up because I'm reminded of a certain elders Bible study at a church I used to attend regularly many years ago discussing this very thing. And it's interesting. I think this demonstrates the difference between when man tries to replace God and when man requests God to use them as a vessel. I've noticed that there are three things. There's when God uses you. When you think you and God can work together like equal partners. And the third is when you can, when you think you can either do it yourself or try to replace God altogether. The last two are rather fallacious, honestly speaking, because here's the thing. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't. He can do it all on his own. And he has. Remember the whole let there be light thing? Yeah, uh, we had, we weren't even around for that yet. When we woke up, look at all, look at this world around us when that happened. Um, so I think one of the reasons is if we go back to the Tower of Babel and we look at how that played out, had Nimrod, who is now, I mean, dating back to when I was growing up watching Looney Tunes cartoons, Nimrod was not a name of pride. It was someone it was a name used to describe someone who is uh, not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed or the brightest bulb in the room. 
And there are reasons for that. Nimrod thought he could replace God. He thought he could box with God, as the modern parlance uh, says. And as a result, language was confused. God came down and said, you know what? Okay, you think you got it? All right, you're going to speak this language. You're going to speak this language. You're going to speak this language. And now you can't get it done. Who's the powerful one now? Oprah wasn't the first one giving out gifts. It started from on high. Now, Jacob's ladder didn't represent Jacob trying to go up into heaven or to replace heaven. It showed us, wow, look at these angels going up and coming back down to demonstrate what God's influence and impact on the world really is. And I think when we realize that when you try to replace God, doesn't end well, versus when you try to integrate God into your life, the differences are what they are. Almost like the difference between the number seven and the number six repeated three times. Amen, amen. Thank God I was born on the seventh day. Um, but let's let's move on. Not about me. Thank you so much, Brother um, Ricky Mark. I want to just go to these comments very quickly. Sister Taylor says, the ladder in Jacob's dream is Jesus being the way to salvation and the Tower of Babel, man trying to save themselves by their own works or by their works. And someone else says, Babel versus Bethel is basically man's self-exaltation versus God's gracious, gracious condescending, condescending, I'm just going to say it that way, to humanity, okay? Um, condescension to humanity. Thank you so much. And so as we consider, that's just powerful. And I want to hear, if you would, our dear um, brother... Ricky Pierre, I'm going to come to you on this very quickly. We're running out of time. What's your thoughts on this idea of the spiritual difference between Jacob's ladder and the Tower of Babel or Babel? I think Brother Mark had a, a full response. I'm just going to add these simple terms. Listen, we've failed. We've failed. Um, God in his gracious ways allow us to still have free will. Um, hoping that we would realize that only in him that we would uh, succeed at something, you know, um, by giving us free will, he allows us to make our own mistakes. That's the bazillion examples we have in the Bible. However, uh, he, he also explained to, to Jacob that, listen, only by relying on Jesus, who symbolizes, I think my sister mentioned it, who symbolizes the latter, that the angels can go go and come back from heaven, be that connection that we need between the Father and, and ourselves to, to, to not, again, lean on our own understanding, understand that we cannot get there without him. So the opposite is shown in, in, the, in the Tower of Babel. So it's God extending his grace to us and, and understanding that through him, that's how we, he is the way, the truth, the light. And then he he brings life to us. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brother um, Ricky. Elder Farrington, I'm going to move on. I'm going to ask you this quick question. We see the example taking place there with the tower. I'm sorry, with the ladder, Jacob's ladder and the access to heaven. We see Jacob waking up and all of a sudden Jacob says, I'm going to return a tithe unto the Lord. He makes this, he makes this declaration there, if you will, at Bethel. Elder Farrington, I want to hear just from you, what can we learn from the reason why Jacob decided to return a tithe to the Lord? Help us out there, please. 
uh, to me, I, I look at it as, man, I, I left home. I started out with nothing. Now uh, I've been blessed and I've get, been given something. I'm going to return back. See, uh, what tithing represent is an abundance, an increase that has been given to you. There's nothing to tithe if you have nothing. So when God bless us, we recognize from whence it, it came from and from whence we've come from. Because truthfully, when we look back then in this agriculture society and, 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 and folks who are, you know, sheep herders and shepherds and all that, you know, from cattle and livestock, it represented an increase. But the increase started from zero. It wasn't like you automatically had it. And so when to me, it's an expression of the heart to say thank you. It's an expression to God that and recognizing that I only have this because of you. And I'm going to give it back uh, due to your blessing. Let me to, to further uh, help us with this point, because I had to do some research and understanding the blessing and the birthright and the blessing and the birthright. We understand that there, there was two instances. First, um, there was the negotiation because, like you say, it didn't trick him. There was the negotiation between um, the birthright. And the birthright basically um, give, um, what was expressed here. It's like, let me read this real quickly. It's basically, um, uh, sorry, I would argue that the birthright, which relates to the leadership of the family and its mission and communicating ethical monotheism to the world. And the blessing, which related to the eldest son, double portion of land and property. So the, the one had to deal with leadership. And so I, and, and being at that in, in terms of a spiritual leader, we'll look at what um, Jacob supplanted from him in terms of that negotiation. And then the blessing represent the physical portion of that in that, um, you know, wanting to have material prosperity. And so the two in itself work together. When God called Abraham, you'll see that the two distinctions there is represented there. Uh, not only, uh, only until we get to this portion here in the lives of Jacob and Esau, we see that there's a division or we see how it's somewhat separated to have more prominence and, and, and value. So uh, Esau was more after the physical portion, the physical portion in terms of getting the, uh, the blessing the birthright, he could say, we can negotiate, let him, you know, have this, you know, the spiritual guidance being the, the priest of the family and what have you. But when we look at it in terms of the tithing here is that the 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 tithing represent the ability to furnish the and equip service of God to care for the message. And it's necessary that each of us plays a part and being able to um, give a, a tithing of our time, our talents, our means, and what have you, so that the gospel can be furthered in, in, in this land that we live in, so that when we look at Jacob's ladder, that, that is uh, angels ascending and sending uh, to and from heaven, that we can be in a position to climb that ladder, so to speak, or to be translated or be resurrected from the grave. And so when we look at this uh, idea of tithing, is an expression that is deeply rooted in the heart to tell God, thank you for, for giving me something from nothing, but also I'm giving back to the cause so that others have an opportunity to know about you. Amen, amen, powerful, powerful. Thank you so much, Elder Farrington. I'm gonna jump on, I wanna ask a quick question and move into Tuesday. And I wanna ask our dear uh, brother Mark, 
if you would just take a look at this idea of Laban, right? And so the question is, if Jacob was chosen by God, why did God allow him to be deceived by Laban? It's a good question. It really is. Uh, because, well, uh, without a test, you can't have a testimony. Jesus was betrayed by one of his uh, one of his main men. Joseph was abandoned and sold into slavery. Moses had to go into exile after living as a prince in the greatest country in the world, ironically, not ironically enough, uh, in Africa. David, before he was king, was subject to multiple assassination attempts by the state. Paul was beaten to within an inch of his life and left for dead only to get up, dust his uh, cloak off and walk back into the city. The Holy Bible is rife with God's chosen people experiencing trials and tribulations. These trials were all in order to advance what I would like to call the great redemption story in some form. Now, it's interesting because on one of the streaming services known as uh, Disney Plus, there's a show called What If, where for those of you that are fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it allows an alternative look into what if certain things that we're all familiar with uh, happen differently. Okay, let's let's explore that even just a little bit. Not so much Marvel, but more, you know, marvelous and wonderful, the great God that we all worship. Let's say Jacob is not deceived by Laban. Okay, let's say he marries Rachel. Okay, he marries Rachel. He has two sons. Rachel, unfortunately, passes while uh, giving birth to Benoni or Benjamin. Now, as a result, with only those two kids, his relatively meager wealth wouldn't have made it possible to form a caravan of his own. Uh, the protection that he would have had while traveling back into Esau's country probably wouldn't have been as high. And there would not have been anyone to sell his son Joseph into slavery and so on. So it's kind of interesting to see how so many things have to fall into place, even when we as human beings might think, oh, man, this is terrible. Why is this happening to me? The story is being furthered. And as human beings, we sometimes we often wonder, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? Why am I experiencing this trial and tribulation? There's something coming that will make us understand that. I'll use myself as a personal as a personal example. I'll, I'll be candid. 2021 was a rough year for me mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you name it. But I am thankful for having gone through that trial and tribulation because I'm standing here before you today stronger than I've ever been spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, because these are things that had, had to happen. When we work out, when we exercise, our muscles are breaking down in order for them to recover stronger again. When Jesus died on the cross, he redeemed all of mankind. Sometimes these things need to happen in order for us to move further and further into the salvation that God promised us if we hold on until the end. And ultimately, uh, justice, uh, be it in this world or the next, will always come to the righteous. Always. Even when life might seem unjust right now, especially for those of us that kind of look like this. But I digress. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, um, Brother Mark. I wanted to ask this question because it comes out of the same vein and we're, we're running short on time. It's going to come very quickly. How can we learn to trust God when we don't see justice being done? In other words, you know, you, you're 
living this life and you're trying to do what's right, but there are injustices that are being done, wages being cha changed on you several times over. And before I come to that, um, I, I want to just speak to the fact that I, using what we just heard from Brother Mark concerning Laban's relationship with, um, with Jacob, and then again, looking at your own life, but when you know, you're trying to trust God and just things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. And you talked about this current um, society we live in. And I would like to hear from, if you would, um, Elder Farrington, could you help us out a little bit on that, on that question? I'm sorry, I was preparing something going, looking ahead. Restate that one more time, I apologize. I just wanted to see what your thoughts are as far as what we can learn, how we can learn to still trust God, even when we see injustice abounding all around us. And so just how can we continue to trust God in that same experience? Okay. Of so, so we, we um, have this song that we, we all know we are climbing Jacob's ladder and, and it says every round goes higher and higher. And that represents our, our, our spiritual journey. And with that understanding, we realize as we grow closer to Christ, there's going to be some things, you know, that is going to uh, weigh on us and, 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 and bring us down. Or there's going to be a higher spiritual journey or hurdle to cross as we climb, you know, uh, and get closer to Christ. The journey doesn't get easier, but your faith grows stronger. And so we can learn to trust on God because we will see that while we are. I remember, you know, you know, I don't get up on ladders anymore and have no need to right now, but. You know, growing up, you know, we got up on the roof and we either helping, you know, doing some repair. And when we get to the top, we look back it's like, wow, man, I'm kind of up here. And we only got that high because the, the rung beneath us. And we know that we can have faith in the ladder, so to speak, because it has held and supported us as we got higher. Now, when we look at the, the journey that we take in life and sometimes when when hardship comes upon us, we tend to retreat sometimes and not realizing how much headwind is behind us to allow us to get to this point in position that we are in life. And sometimes we, the Bible says, cast not away that confidence, so it has great recompense of a reward. And we get to a point that we start to doubt and we start to uh, be distrustful and unfaithful because we see something ahead of us that's insurmountable. But if we look back, every rung was insurmountable. We only climbed over and got to that point because of God aid and guidance. And so, we can learn to trust in God based on what we've done so far. If nothing else, we can just take what has happened in our lives to that point and realize he will help us get beyond that point. They say if he brought us to it, he will allow us to get through it. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, other parents. We're going to come back to you because you were preparing something for us. You were cooking up something in the kitchen there. We're going to come back to that. just want to speak to our dear sister Williams says, have to use our unrealistic faith, right? And that's what faith is, right? The stuff that you don't really know is tangible and real, but just saying what? I'm going to step on it anyway. Walk on water, if you will. And so thank you so much for that. Um, I'm going to come to you, Brother Pierre. I have a question for you. And I want to ask you just Practically speaking, okay, why are the family dysfunctions of Jacob included in the Bible? Why on earth is this stuff here scandalous? Um, is it just to sell some, you know, some papers? Uh, is it to, you know, put people on blast? Tell us here, what, what's your thoughts as to why Jacob's family dysfunctions are included in the Bible? Two words, empathy and relatedness. Um, God understood what we would have to go through. 
So all these examples in the Bible is to show us that, listen, you're, you might not be the first one going through this. And the guidelines and the steps to take are in the Bible. My sister mentioning unrealistic faith, and that's what Jacob needed to experience um, and his um, dysfunctionality. He needed to experience his own doing, his own tactics to understand that they were wrong and to understand that he needed to rely on a greater power other than his own mind because he was uh, intelligent and in his schemes. So he had to understand that um, he had to rely on, on the plans of God. And, and secondly, uh, uh, Brother Tracy, it, it's, it's, we have to understand that the Bible is real and that, that, that starts with what we believe in. So part of our faith is understand that these stories are real. These are people that, that are not worthy, that became worthy because of the grace of God. And we have to understand that in our meager states and in our, in our sin, sinful state that we are in, feeling inadequate is not an option. Understanding that through the Bible, we have many, many examples, starting with, uh, uh, I mean, we can name Job. Job was seen righteous in the, in the eyes of God. He said it himself bragging to, to Satan about it after, you know, going through um, the earth. And he said, have you seen my servant Job? So I, if anyone would have a complaint, it would be Job. However, at the end of the book, it, it shows him taking Job into a, 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 um, um, a journey and, and explaining to Job, you don't know why these things are happening to you. I, you should not question the purpose of God. And one of these purposes is for us today to to relate on the story of Job, even when we're going through something that we don't think we should be going through, hang in there. Understand that God's purpose, he sees it all. He understands all, and, and it may go beyond our lifespan. It, the purpose may be fulfilled after we've passed through. However, there is a purpose, and that's where our faith comes in, that God knows what's best for us. So these stories are illustrated to understand that um, this is not the first round of dysfunctionality that the world is experiencing. However, we know that we have a Savior. We have victory through our Savior that's conquered the world, and we ought to lean on these promises to stay encouraged. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Brother Ricky P. And I'm going to just come back to Elder Farrington. You had a point that you wanted to make earlier you're working on. I'm going to ask you to just wrap us up and go home. We're at the um, one-minute mark. But I'm going to throw this question up there in case you had that included, including some of your thoughts as well. Here you go. Why did God allow Jesus to come through the offspring of Leah? Point I was kind of brought up earlier. Elder Farrington, give us some going home music, please. <laughs> wow. Uh, you throw this at my feet. Um, uh, here, here, here it is. Um, when we look at uh, Jacob had two wives, right? He worked seven for one and seven for the other. And when we go back and we look at um, his father, um, uh, Abraham, um, was his grandfather, Abraham, was um, told that he was going to have a, a, a child. He's going to be the father of many nations and waited so long and it didn't happen. And then he goes into his handmaid, his wife's handmaid, and they have a child named Ishmael. And God told him, you know, that's not where the, the lineage is going to come through. And, and then so, you know, he opens up, you know, um, Sarah's room and she produced for him Isaac. And we see here that in this instance, God is honoring 
the vows or the, the that of the first marriage. There was no marriage to um, um, to the handmaid there, Hagar. But the, the, in essence, we see that the lineage was going to come through the rightful son. Now, we go down a few generations and we see here that when Isaac um, had to work for uh, two wives and he married one on the deception, but God still honored the first marriage. Understand this here. We read in, in, in Genesis 49.10, and it says here, um, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until shallow come, and to him shall the gathering of the people be. It was Leah's fourth child. The first one, you know, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi all had names that dealt with her situation and God hearing and her pain. And on this one here, she started to praise God. And so we, we know through the line of Judah, remember, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And so when when uh, when Leah died, she was buried in a in, in the in the family plot or cave that Abraham purchased, Machpelah. And that's where you'll find that um, Abraham and his wife and Isaac and his wife and Jacob and his wife all was buried in this. Now, Rebecca, the one who we love and the one who worked was pretty much buried almost on the side of a road somewhere. Uh, but the, we see the lineage that God chose the honor was that of the, the first marriage where he allowed this child, this promised child that was in the garden, you know, when he said, I'll put enmity between thee and thy seed and thou shalt bruise and, and all this stuff here. That was the promised child that was to come. And it was still this year that he was tracing um, the lineage or preparing the lineage uh, of, uh, of Christ to come through Leah, Leah. And I, and I say this here and it could be maybe up for um, um, discussion by some, but we see we can actually trace the fact that, you know, through the first wife, we find here the lineage of Christ coming through, meaning that although we think polygamy, that God winked at, although we look at men having a lot of wives back in um, during certain times, you know, think that it was okay back in biblical days. God didn't adorn that or God didn't um, sanctify that or anoint that. He's still looking for a man to have one wife, and that is to death do us part. And through his, he honored and he blessed that union. Amen. Elder Farrington, we thank you so much for the going home music. You did it, man. It's a beautiful symphony, nice harmony. We love it in harmony with the word of God. I want to thank all of our participants today. And I'm not just referring to the ones on the screen, not just Ricky P, R. Mark, or Elder Farrington. I'm also referring to everyone that gave comments and, and posted those comments as well. I wasn't able to post all of them, but we definitely enjoy the engagement from you. We ran out of time. We have one minute until our services get started. We are having communion service, a daughter of Zion, along with an awesome baptismal service. Also, you can come in person. You can also watch and participate online, as well as in Central Florida, Message of Hope will be having their service broadcasting beginning in less than a minute as well. So we just want to thank you all for joining us. We want to invite you to come back next Sabbath. Same stations, same broadcast, same YouTube, same Facebook, same time. But most importantly, what? Same God. We're going to have a quick word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and for your love. We thank you, the Lord, for this opportunity. We pray that, Father, we have glorified you in everything we have said, everything we have done. That which we have failed to do, O oh Lord, we know you will not. Keep us, I beg you. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. 
Until next time, oh God, we ask you to keep us, bring us. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks so much for being a part of this broadcast. We look forward to seeing you.